0: Hello and welcome to the Uprising Podcast, another podcast on the Nerd Uprising Network. My name is Will Fangi, and I am joined by my co-host and older brother, Rob Fangi. Rob, how are you?
1: I'm doing well today, man. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm a little under the weather. A little touch of the uh, what I'm now referring to as the Venezuelan death flu. Well, that's not good. No, it was uh, it was not a wonderful week around here. In addition to launching the network, our uh, our furnace went out not once but three times. And we spent about three days without any heat in our house. It was also cold enough in the house that, or cold enough in the neighborhood, that I did not have to go to work on Wednesday. I'm a teacher. I didn't have to go to work on Wednesday because we had a snow day. That was unfortunate because I was looking forward to the warmth.
1: That's bad, man. That's yeah. Bad. And I have to say, I knew you were feeling a little bit under the weather, but I do have to say you sound better than I thought you would sound.
0: Well, it, it has been in my head for the past couple of days. It has now comfortably settled into my chest. So I imagine I'm going to appreciate the mute button on this uh, on this blue Yeti before everything is over with. So if you okay. don't hear me coughing, that's because it's muted, not because I'm not coughing.
1: Well, then I'll try to play your role and just keep rambling then.
0: That sounds like a wonderful idea. That was my saving grace for this was I was like, well, since the first episode we're going to do of The Uprising is is with Rob and he knows the general uh, outline and the general idea of what we're trying to accomplish. We can just let him talk and I'll just go, "Uh uh-huh, and ask questions every once in a while. (laughs) Good, good, Uh, good. good. Speaking of the general outline of the show, seeing as how it is in episode one, I thought it would be a good idea for us to give... Uh, what is, we hope, our throngs of new listeners, a little bit of a an idea of where we're headed with this. Uh, the uh, Uprising is an interview format podcast where we want to have people come on and talk about something that they are really interested in, something they're really passionate about. We want to hear their story. We want to hear why they are so interested in the thing that they do. Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's a hobby. like it is for me and podcasting, or you and right now, your photography, which we're going to talk about a little bit more here in a minute. I just I feel like it's important for people that are typically considered nerds, whether it's about uh, a typically geeky topic or not. It doesn't have to be about something like tabletop gaming or programming or iOS automation or whatever. Uh, it can be about, you know, styling hang or hang gliding. Uh, you have this thing with hang
1: gliding. Uh, I, uh, and the sad thing is, I have a horrible, horrible feel of heights. Yeah, no, like neither, I would of never, us, never, neither of us have too good with hang gliding. No, no, absolutely. There's no way you're strapping my fat ass to one of those things. There's and, not a chance.
0: And I'm too small and I'm not very good at protecting myself at all. So <laughs> it's just <laughs> not a thing that I would You're be entirely into. too fragile. I am. Entirely. I am. Um,. No, I want to have... You and I have talked about this. We want to have people on and have them have the opportunity to tell their story and explain the thing that they're into and why they're into it because a lot of times people have what would be considered a a niche interest and a thing that they... Maybe sometimes they keep it under wraps or maybe they don't have the opportunity to talk about it and expound on it and, you know, kind of let people know what it is they're into and why they're into it and I want to give people that opportunity because there may, there might be somebody else out there that feels the same way about your thing. And it could be, you know, um, I don't want to say life-affirming because we're not going to go Tony Robbins with this, but I feel like it's a good thing. We have thing. much
1: smaller teeth.
0: I do. Fewer of them. Well... Hey, there you go. But I'm still beating the Shelbyville average. Um, this is true. <laughs> we just want to have people on to be able to talk about their thing, whether it's something that's typically nerdy or typically not nerdy. Just, it's not about how society views what you like. It's about how into it you are, how much you love it. And if you love your thing and you think that you want to tell other people why it's awesome, then we want to talk to you. We want to have you on and we want to be able to have you spread that love to other people. That's why we have you on talking about analog photography today because to be honest with you, I feel like other people should hear you talk about it. Namely because A, some of us are sick of hearing about it and B, because you are... You're the guy for analog photography, at least in my life, and you know a lot about it, and you've done a lot of um, research, and a lot of you've invested a lot of time and a lot of energy, and I'm interested in finding out where that started, how you got to where you are, why it's analog and not digital, and just what is it about the analog photography that, that really brings you to it. Um, I think a good idea first, though, would be for everyone to kind of to To you can keep that in. I don't even care. That's just blah. Uh, To get to know us a little bit more, because they are going to be hearing us talk about this, about it, or talk to other people every other week, and it's important to know the the life and ideas behind the voices. So, since you're the guest, is it okay if I go first?
1: Absolutely, you can start.
0: Great. This is not the first podcast that you and I have recorded together. No, it is not. No, it is not. We uh we did um, episode one of stuff and things that came out on this wonderful nerd uprising network. Uh, by the time this is on, we're not about a week ago. Um, right, we had some issues.
1: We did. Um, we did a, a, a few of the first episodes from the network uh, were not without their problems. That's my fault. Oh well.
0: Uh, I got caught up a little bit in the excitement of starting a new podcast network. Uh, to the point that I was not finishing uh, or looking to do really well on all of the details, and I did not record either of the episodes that we did last weekend in the appropriate bit rate or sample distance or float Sam jet some something. Um,
1: yes, yes, the audio software got the better of you.
0: It did, and no, you did the absolute best that you could given the audio file that I sent you either had me at half speed, talking like this, or completely silent. Right. So uh, there are some spots on the first episode of Stuff and Things and the first episode of Bipolar where I sound like I'm talking at either uh, double speed or at least speed and a half. Um, right. So kudos to you for making that sound like what it is. We're hoping that that kind of stuff doesn't happen again. And if that's the worst thing that happens on the first week of a network that has four brand new podcasts and some blog posts going up, then yeah, they're they are we're doing well. Yeah. Yeah. There are far worse things that could be going on. Um, in the egotistical way that I prefer to embrace because this is my network, I would think I will go first. I'm going to tell everybody a little bit more about myself in case you're mm-hmm. new to me. And then because you are the first guest here, on okay. the wonderful Uprising podcast. Uh, we, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and then a little bit about what we're, uh, we're going to be talking about today. Sure. So, uh, in case you just met me, my name is Will Fengi. I am the czar of the Nerd Uprising Network.
1: Czar. The czar. Thank czar. you.
0: It's got a nice Russian-Eastern European socialism ring to it. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, that worked out really well for them, right? Exactly. Good. Wonderful. Um, in addition to doing this, I am a full-time classroom teacher. I teach advanced English and language arts to the gifted and high-achieving middle school students at a couple of middle schools in an adjacent county. I also am the de facto employee and carrier of hard, thing, hard things, heavy things. Typically, they're hard, too. It's it's furniture. Right. Um, I am the de facto well, some employee. Some of the couches are squishy. They are. They are. I help my wife run her business. She is a stylist and runs a prop house, so I typically help her carry some things. I rent the U-Hauls. I uh, I pack the boxes. She does all of the brain work. I do all of the, the... The common phrase around here is, she's the brains behind the operation, and I'm just a monkey with a hammer. So, go. I've got that as a part-time job. I have this lovely Nerd Uprising stuff as a part-time job. I have my full-time job. We have three dogs and are fostering another one, so I have um, I like to say I have very little free time, but really what I'm doing is I'm taking the time that I do have outside of the classroom and pouring it into things that I love, which includes podcasting and technology and, and things like that. So um, I've got a couple of podcasts that we do about technology stuff. Uh, I have another one that we do about digital and analog tools. I get the opportunity to sit down and talk with you for an hour or two every week, which is you and I talk more now on the mic than we ever did off the mic before.
1: I know. I. Th- I th- it's amazing that we've now, um, we now talk together over, you know, these microphones than we do on the telephone. Yeah. Because now whatever we have to say to each other, you know, in our normal, you know, brotherly, we live 600 miles away from each other, telephone calls, we just now use the microphone and the good speakers for. Yeah, I would much rather you hear my
0: audio like this than over the really bad cell phone service I have here at our farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. That's um, true. That's true. I know a lot about you. We've been brothers now for mm-hmm. 30 years. Quite a while, yeah. Yeah, Quite 30 a while. years. Um, but I'm not sure that some of the, of the listeners do, if there's anyone that's still paying attention. Thank you. Um, yes. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then talk a little bit about your, I don't know, your thing. Your, the thing that you love so, so much.
1: Um, okay. Well, yeah, my name is Rob Fange. I live in New Orleans. I am Will's older brother. I do photography work also, you know, without grossing out the listeners, I do work in healthcare and in my photography work, I usually, you know, use my digital camera and I've done that for a while now, but in the process of working, I kind of got to a point uh, a while ago, years ago that I needed to kind of slow down and get back to the fundamentals of creating art rather than taking pictures. If that makes sense at all. No, absolutely. Uh, So I decided that I would step backwards and begin uh, or not begin, but to return to analog photography.
0: So that's your thing. That is my thing. Your thing is analog photography.
1: Yes, I work with old cameras and film and chemistry.
0: Rob, thank you. You are an analog photography nerd.
1: I am. I am, and I have been for quite some time.
0: T- tell me more about analog photography. Why, oh, you alluded to it briefly, that you wanted to do more of creating with the art. It takes, film is finite. And yeah. the ones and zeros on an SD or memory card are not so much, so.
1: Once we well, so run out of room.
0: Yeah, well, and but it, that typically takes considerably longer than a roll of 24 or 36 exposures. Six
1: exposures, yes. No, you're right, you're right.
0: So. Why then how is it more
1: artistic for you? Well, I feel like it's first of all, it's tactile. Okay. You're using something. You have something that you can that that you're holding in your hand before you turn it into, you know, digital things. And that's kind of it's kind of where, where it all began for me you know, okay. I guess we're talking about what, like 20 years ago now. Okay. Um, I started with a, a black and white class while I was, uh, attending middle Tennessee state university, go blue Raiders. Raiders. Um, and you know, back then I was just a, a college kid trying to figure out how not to fail this class that suddenly I found out that I thought I was going to do something in the communications curriculum, but it turned out I was being in a position to create art. And that kind of scared me because I'd never been, you know, artistic at all before. I mean, let's face it, I I could never draw. I could never paint.
0: Your never handwriting tra- isn't even very good. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, there's no way I could ever sculpt. I mean, are you kidding me?
0: Not with those myths.
1: No, no, afraid not. Um, so I kind of found myself in this arena that suddenly I could be creative, but I wasn't limited by my big bumbly fingers. You know, I, I I was using tools rather than just my hands. Um, So I did that for a while and I really liked it. But once I kind of got out of the class, I didn't really do much of it for a while. And then um, the restaurant I was working at closed down and I really didn't know what else I was going to do with my life um, while I was still in college. So they opened up, they were they were opening up a brand new drugstore, like right around the corner from where I was living. And they were going to put in a one-hour lab. And I'm like, wow, okay, one hour for negatives and prints. I used to, you know, take an hour just to make the negatives. This might be neat. Um, so I went in and I applied for that job and I got that job. Um, I worked there for, oh goodness, probably two or three years. Um, that was actually... Uh, In 1998, where I booked my first wedding, I shot a wedding in Murfreesboro um, at the, oh goodness, now I don't remember the venue, but it's where they used to have the Uncle Dave Mason days.
0: Oh yeah, out at Cannonsburg.
1: Yes, at Cannonsburg. And um, in that little bitty chapel, um, you know, the chapel with one light switch that doesn't even... Home of the world's largest cedar bucket. Oh, okay. Um, I... Was not aware that that was their claim to fame.
0: I, you know what, that that couple is probably going to be upset now that, that you didn't get any pictures of the world's largest cedar bucket.
1: That uh, is, y- you know what? Now that you mentioned it, I am upset myself. I didn't get any pictures of the world's largest cedar bucket. Had I known it was there, I certainly would have photographed it. That, that um, would that would look good,
0: especially in black and white.
1: Um, yeah, you know, uh, if it's still there, the next time I go to Murfreesboro, I'm going to make up for that.
0: How did you? Uh, how did that come up with a customer that you were a? looking to become semi-professional photographer?
1: Well, to be honest with you, what had happened was that the the lab itself had its own staff. We were separate than the drugstore staff and separate than uh, the pharmacy staff. The pharmacy had its own manager, which was usually a, you know whatever the lead pharmacist was, and had their own employees that made their own schedule that were the pharmacy techs, the people that worked back there. The people on the retail side of things the store manager, the store clerks, the people at stock, the people that did inventory, the people that were cashiers were on their side of the equation and then the people that worked in the lab, which was the lab manager, and all the lab techs, had their own separate world so the lab manager um, was a very interesting guy, and like he was a musician and he was a songwriter, and he was very. Uh, he was very charismatic, but he was also very flighty. No, Okay, so you've just described
0: three quarters of the people that either attend the university or live in the Nashville metropolitan area. Pretty
1: much. Pretty much. You had them at songwriter. Yeah, there you go. Because, um, you know, everybody's writing a song. Everybody. Um, He had actually told this guy because these people were also songwriters, so they had that synergy for lack of a better word. I hate using that word. Oh God. Um, (laughs) but you talk about interesting and flighty. You
0: just went there. (laughs) Synergy. (laughs) They have this communal connection.
1: Yeah. I don't, well, yeah. And it was, it was that kind of thing. Um, so he had agreed to shoot their wedding because he was, you know, he, he had done it before he'd worked in it before. Well, lo and behold, you know, this guy goes on one of his more, um, eccentric paths and doesn't show up for work and basically, you know, kind of goes off the reservation, which your artistic and flighty people sometimes do and left this poor couple without a wedding photographer and a looming date. And this is, and I guess I can talk, about this now since Eckerd's is really no longer in business. Um, but obviously you had a, there, there's a rule that says you can't do that. Just up and leave your job. Well, no, no, no. There's a rule that says that you cannot while working in the lab, have a customer who's also a client for a photography job. It seems weird. I know it's weird, but it's because of things like this as to why it was in place because he backed out, left these people standing there and they went in and started making formal complaints to the overall store manager, which of course goes up the chain to the district manager. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what we're going to do. And it turns out the only way to kind of placate them was, well, Rob's got a camera. Nice. You know, (laughs) you got backed into this one pretty much. I'd never even thought about, you know, Uh, Up until that point, I never really thought about photographing weddings. And honestly, it was such a departure from the weddings that we have here. Because obviously, you know, you're talking about cultural differences in different areas of the country and the Bible Belt of Tennessee being much more conservative. So what you're telling
0: me is there wasn't an open bar at the reception.
1: No. As a matter of fact, I think... And I don't know. I'm I'm gonna have to confess my complete ignorance on this. I believe it's a sect of Mormonism that does not allow for caffeine. That is because that, that it's quote unquote a drug. That sounds correct. Okay, yeah, which uh, technically it is, but um, there was no caffeine at this wedding. Not only was there no alcohol, there was no Coca Cola, no coffee, no coffee. Well, they might allow coffee. I don't, I don't know. I didn't get into it. I didn't get into it, but when I rolled up and I saw it was all caffeine-free Coke, I was like, and it was caffeine-free Diet Coke. I was sort of like, oh, well, someone must have a caffeine sensitivity, and they told me, no, it's, it's because of their faith. I was like, oh, okay. And of course, I mean, you know, New Orleans lacks Catholic that, you know, hasn't left a wedding without three or four drinks in them ever. I mean, since I was like 12. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like. You're what?
0: It's a little different, but you know, judge, not lest you be judged, that kind
1: of thing. No, no, no. And it was very cool because they also, they were country music songwriters and a lot of their guests there were other country music songwriters. So we're in this little bitty building, you know, out in Cannonsburg in these, you know, kind of antique farmhouse hillside looking kind of place and there's all these incredible, incredible musicians playing songs and they're writing their own songs and they they sung like all their original stuff. They sung, um, the bride and groom sang songs they wrote for each other. It w- it was an awesome moment as a photographer. And, you know, now as a wedding photographer, you're like, oh my God, I wish I could find clients that come up with that kind of originality and what they want to have for their own unique experience as a wedding. Yeah. And it was my first one that I just, you know, that I got into to try to help somebody out. It wasn't even like I went in and tried to say, okay, I want this gig. You know what I mean? So that was, that was awesome. So I kind of kept going and I got some referrals to do some other weddings with it, but none of them were quite as interesting and or unique as that one. Um, and I kind of put it away for a little while. Um, I kept working at the lab obviously, but I I stopped trying to, uh, I I stopped trying to get other gigs. I had other things going on. I was a college student. I was trying to leave these things behind me. I was trying to gain an education and get a quote unquote real job. That worked out Uh, really well for you. Yeah, no, it did. It, It worked out great. Uh, so after, you know, I unfortunately stopped taking college all that seriously and made a plethora of bad decisions in other areas of my life. And I moved back here. I kept working at the lab. Um, and you know, I finally, I finally got out, but I I kept going with it. I kept going with photography and keeping up with that and, and keeping up with the trends and paying attention to the trade magazines and things like that. Um, and then eventually, of course, you know, with everybody else, I didn't upgrade my film camera, I bought a digital camera. Um, so as I'm moving through and as I'm, you know, as I'm moving through life and things are happening, um, I decide to, you know, further my education and get a different degree somewhere else. I basically took the same black and white course again at a different place because I needed another elective and I'd already taken that course. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'll try and do this now. Maybe I'll actually be better at the photography this time. You know, right. It's got to be easy. Right. I mean, you've been um, doing it for
0: a while. You've been paying attention. You've got right. a little bit of education in this area.
1: Right. So I, I thought it, I thought it'd be a good thing to go to. Um, And I, you know, I, I kept up with it. And then of course that was 2005 and then hurricane Katrina hit. And uh, obviously everything here in new Orleans changed and, there was a lot of subject matter to work with here for a long time, but I really, I kind of had this sort of emotional conflict as to whether or not I was going to try to record a lot of the images and a lot of the things that I was seeing here, because quite frankly, there were a lot of things here. I didn't feel like I needed to document that. there was a whole lot that happened here. I needed to forget. Yeah. Um, I did end up taking one role of some of the destruction that was, uh, in St. Bernard Parish and in the ninth ward of New Orleans and things like that. And I still look at those from time to time and I'm glad I did it. But at the same time, I don't necessarily know if I should have done more, you know, it's kind of those regrets, but thankfully there were people that from, you know, that were from other areas that came in and, and put their spin on things here. And I think a lot of them did a good job. So, you know, and some of them have been published in, different things in black and white magazine and in a a few other places. So that story got told without any of my help. And quite frankly, I'm glad for that.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember it being a really interesting time for you both uh, personally and professionally trying to figure out what, what role you played in the, in the way that the, the city and the community was, was being constructed. And was it important for you to document and, and be an artist or was it more important for you to, kind of take a step back and, and be either part of it from a participant or part of it from a spectator. It, it was a, it, I mean, as with any natural disaster, but particularly one that hits so close to home and, and is so devastating, it's, it's kind of hard to draw the line as to where are you, like what role you play. Right. Um, and I don't want to belabor that point too much because I remember it being a particularly difficult part of your life and it's not exactly the most comfortable or heartwarming thing to go back over. Let's, uh let's talk a little bit more about your transition into digital. Cause you know, there was a black and white period and then you're, you're like Van Gogh. There was a black and white period. And then, there, <laughs> then there was your color period. Then there was a very well, blue I don't, period.
1: I don't, I don't necessarily know if I, um, if it got, you know, quite that bad, but I mean, obviously when you get into digital, that was pretty much where everything was expanding into you. You lived in this, you know, if, if this was, you know, your job and what you decided to do, you were in this kind of ever expanding digital, digital world. And in a way we have to understand that it's not about analog versus digital and what does this best and what's got the better color space and what gets the better shadow detail. And, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can, you know, this is one of those black holes where you can just go on and on and on about gear and different things like that. But it's, it's really just, it's, it's two means to get to a place in a visual medium. That's where you kind of are. And as far as digital goes, you know, I I have, I have a tech side, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm on a network called the nerd uprising. I mean, I, I have, I, I have a technical side to my personality. And it was very easily get pulled into digital, especially when you kind of got on the ground floor because there was all kinds of new stuff and there was all this new emerging technology and there was lots of new toys and you were using all the new and, you know, best kind of computer systems and all this amazing software just kind of kept coming out and it was always this this new thing. And
0: it was like back in the day when you would buy a PC custom made from Dell. And by the time it shipped and showed up at your house, it was outdated.
1: Yeah, pretty much
0: like every, every five minutes, there was uh, a new, uh, a new lens or a new, uh, everybody's adding megapixels to everything. Right. Right. And
1: and the, and the great megapixel race started and it was at first, it was who could get to five and then it was who could get to 10. And then all of a sudden it stopped there and went from 10 to 20. Like who can get to 20, who can make it to 20. And now you know, I, I think Hasselblad one that's that has one that's like a fifty.
0: I I don't even it's understand massive. what the concept of megapixels is, but I think that fifty's large.
1: It's it, it's big, and I, I think it's like twenty or thirty thousand dollars.
0: That's an expensive camera.
1: Well, it is, it, but for people that do advertising work and copy work, and people that you know shoot for covers of you know L magazine, okay. You know, you have the subscriber base and the funds that can do that, so you should own that camera. I I am not gonna be that guy.
0: No, you you but, went a different direction. You
1: Yeah, I, I went old. Um <laughs> You're like,
0: everybody's getting rid of good stuff, I'll buy it for the cheap. I'll take it. Thank you. Um why, and I, why did you decide to go back analog? Because I know analog is your big push now. I know you still take a lot of digital photos. Why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why did you, I don't want to say necessarily ignore the the technology side of you. Why did you, because if that's where all the money and all the interest is going, what appealed to you about analog photography that brought you back?
1: Well, it basically started that I needed to slow down. Um, I, It's so easy to just keep cranking and hold that shutter button down and just, you know, I mean, I, I, I think some of my digital SLRs can shoot something like eight or nine frames a second. That's a, that's a lot of photos. Yeah. It, it's a lot. It's a lot. And you're, you know, you're, you're overwhelmed with, you know, six of the same of one image and things like that. And it, it's, it's, it's not that they're under certain circumstances under, you know, sports and certain aspects of weddings obviously where, you know, you take a bunch of the same photo. Yeah. You don't want to miss the moment. Right. Right. When, when that bride and her father's coming down the aisle, you take a lot of that picture and you try to catch the one, you know, because you're trying to get the one where they're both not blinking and they're both sort of smiling and they're both kind of looking at you and kind of looking forward. You know, it's yeah.
0: You got to get it just right. right.
1: You got You got to kind of get that just right. So taking you know, 10 of that one might be okay. The bouquet toss, you know, you're trying to get the bouquet at the exact right height where the lights right on the people behind it. And you know, the other girls are all reaching up to catch it and those kind of things. So you're trying to get that shot. So you get, you know, you take plenty of that shot. Um, the problem is I found myself in the position where I'm taking plenty of that shot for everything. Right. And that's obviously, you know, and, and, Once you get on the editing side of that, it's also overwhelming.
0: Yeah, I mean, we come back into the finite versus nearly infinite conversation we were having at the very beginning about how until you run out of space on that SD card, why would you not continue to just take the shots? Right, exactly. I can imagine when you come back from a wedding and you have, I don't know, 11, 1200 pictures to look through so you can thin it down to, I don't know, what, 10% of that at most. That mm-hmm. that takes a lot, especially when you've got your finger on shutter and it's going quickly, and it seems like to the untrained eye, 12 of those shots are damn near identical.
1: Yeah, right.
0: So slowing down is definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. If you take the time to compose and put together an image, I can imagine there's a bit more, it's a bit more satisfying to say, yeah, I got that shot.
1: Right. And there was a time, too, when I think some of my work was starting to get kind of tired and some of it quite frankly was a little bit terrible.
0: Oh, don't be like that. Yeah.
1: Well, no, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's where, it's where you notice a decline. And I think every person who participates in art, they want to get better. And you want to, you not only want to get better, but you want to keep pushing forward. And I found that for some things, for things like, you know, composition and exposure and things like that, forcing yourself to slow down in those real fundamental areas I found really helped me out a lot. Okay. Uh, And about this time, uh, a friend of mine gave me a book. She was cleaning out her, her apartment, trying to move. And I think she was trying to clean out some things that had once belonged to her father and things like that or someone in her family. I don't even remember who it was. And she said, oh, wait, you do photography here. Look at all these old books. And one of them was a book called Advanced Darkroom Techniques. And it was put out by Kodak. It was basically just like a big ad that had all this different stuff. And I thought to myself, you know, all these lenses that I I bought for this digital camera, they, they fit on my old film camera because the lens mount's the same. And I still have the tank and all the negative holders things like that. So all I would need would be the chemistry and the film, obviously to take the film and turn the film. negatives. So why don't I try to do that? And I could do something different within the same field and kind of get back to what I want to do. And that's what I did is that I started, um, experimenting with different chemistries and different films and different developers and uh, trying to, you know, varying these few things or maybe only changing one thing at a time to come out and see what the end result's going to be.
0: There's there's, there's the nerd right there. Like when you just tweak the little things, you just like, Mm -hmm. all right, well, I'm going to do a little less of this, a little more of that, or I'm going to let this sit for another fifteen thirty seconds, I'm just gonna mm-hmm. just gonna tweak it just a little bit to see if it will s- either save me a step later on, or you know, change the the uh, the resolution or the exposure on this one. Did you ever get to a point, as I imagine most nerds do, that you were investing more time in altering the procedures than you were in actually producing content? Um.
1: I have to say I'm somewhat proud of myself that I don't know if I ever got if I ever got that bad. That's good, because that, that's um, a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. It is and it's a thing with a lot of things. But I didn't I don't think I ever quite got there. Um I don't think that I got so or at least I hope not. I hope I didn't get so consumed in process that it started to affect the the final outcome. To any discernible degree. And re- and really there are some clients that I shoot for that I now use black and white film for, or that I use color film for, and I don't process the color film myself. It It's, it's very, uh, temperature sensitive and you've got to kind of, you know, use kind of a, they call it an immersion circulator. That, it's that bit,
0: already sounds complicated. That sounds like yeah. something you'd more likely yeah. use in the healthcare field. That sounds like something you'd use in your other job as opposed to something you'd use in photography. <laughs> Um go ahead and get the
1: immersion, immersion circulator. circulator. What it what it does it's it's basically a tank that you hook up to your hot water and cold water. Okay? All right. And it's like a tub and you fill up the tub and you set the temperature and what the circulator and what the what the device does is it regulates how much cold and hot water it pulls in from the tap and it also circulates the water through the tank to keep it at a constant temperature. I'm not going to lie to you,
0: that sounds remarkably complicated.
1: It is. It's also expensive.
0: There's the nerd well and I was going to say those are the two, those are two things that typically come along with being nerdy about something. It's complicated and it's expensive.
1: There you go. There you go. Um I don't have one. Um I do black and white film at home just because it's less sensitive to Uh, changes in temperature, particularly when you go in between the different pieces of the chemical cascade, which I won't get into right now. Um, But it's the black and white is pretty much more stable at uh, one temperature for the developer. And then everything else can pretty much be at room temperature.
0: What about this process is most appealing to you? What, I mean, not just the, what about the, I hate to say the processing process because that sounds weird, but what about the, the chemistry and the developing process is, is most appealing to you? Why, why do that? Why not just take it to a one hour photo?
1: Well, there's two things really. One, I think you take more pride in something that you've had more of the overall experience with. That makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, And two, it's, it's kind of a tactile thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's a very, you know, it's analog. And to me, it's very analog because I'm not just like sticking negatives into something. I'm actually, you know, mixing up chemistry in my laundry room. I'm, I'm actually doing something. I'm participating in this at a different level that with, you know, digital capture, you don't do. Now, eventually, it all gets digitized. Okay, I mean, how's that we, work? We, well, we live in the area. We live in the era of the internet.
0: Very okay. much. Th- thank God for the internet, because otherwise, it'd yeah. just be you and I talking into tin cans.
1: Pretty much. Um, so, eventually, everything has got to be displayed somehow. Now, granted, there are still very many galleries that are very successful that still hang prints on a wall that. You know, we'll still sell them. I mean, I've been hung up. Some of my work has been hung up in, in a gallery in Baton Rouge. I completely get it. Um, and of course, you know, you would never want to discount those things because that is the true art experience. But for for what we call culling, for taking all of the images off a roll, and then put them in one spot so you can look at them and see which ones you're going to pick out and which ones you're going to make prints of. I can still take um, those and get them printed, but not at a uh, not a very large size. You know, not for giant, I'm going to hang this on a wall in a gallery size. Um, I can make prints from the digital files I make in a scanner. Because that's what I do. I process the film. I make the film into negatives. I hang the negatives and there's a there's a picture of this on Instagram. You can go find it. I hang the negatives from the dish on the light fixture underneath the ceiling fan hey what and <laughs> you... on on a clothes hanger I got from the dry cleaners i mean this is very low tech it it and, works though it's very no, it does it's very, it's very effective it's very effective um with that and a couple of paper clips. And that's how I dry the film before I cut it and scan it, and I scan it here, and I still, you know, and I still also have that tech experience, you know, that that thing that gets that you know, that techie nerd part of your brain going, because I'm still working in Adobe Lightroom, I'm still working in Photoshop, because when you're dealing with analog stuff, there's lots of little pieces of dust and speckles and little things like that that obviously you want to try to edit out of your work before you really want anyone to see it. So you get
0: essentially the best of both worlds. You get the the tactile experience, the delayed gratification, the whole slowing down of the process with the analog photo taking and then the analog processing. But then at the same time, you still get to use the fun tools and software on the computer because once you've processed the negatives and put everything together, you run into the scanner and then, oh, now we get to do the other side of the fun stuff
1: right yeah yeah
0: yeah there's and just a, a, a fewer images to look at a roll of 36 becomes 36 a roll of mm-hmm. or an sd card becomes or an sd card with its thousands upon thousands of images uh considerably more intimidating than 36 exposures very much so well at least in the in the editing process
1: in the editing process yes
0: okay so we've yeah. we've got negative. but you also have
1: to hope you get it right and it really drives you to say, you know, film and chemistry. And of course, all the time you put in to capture, I mean, these things aren't cheap and it really forces you to try to get it right the first time. Okay. And I mean, you might, you might do the same cause you use the, you do the same thing with a digital camera. You may bracket the exposure. You may say, well, I don't know if the shutter speed is exactly right for what I'm doing. So I'll, th- you know, I have this one in the middle, so I'll shoot one low, one actual, and one above and see which one's better. Well, you can still do that on film and you've only taken three frames. So if it's if it's something that you're really working on that you're not just out and about, you know, kind of during the tourist thing, um, you can do that. I've I've done that before. I've done that with, for the shots that I knew were going to be uh, hung at the Royal Life Museum. I bracketed a lot of shots just to try to see what would come out better in the final process.
0: Just to make sure you get it right. Correct. Yeah,
1: yeah, because you you want to get it right.
0: So let's talk about the digital side of things. We've got mm-hmm. the negatives. You scan them into the uh, you you scan them in via what I can only assume is a somewhat more complicated process to get the images it's not like you can just like take a picture of a negative with an iPhone and go, okay, let's work from here. There's a particular scanner and other, and other uh, specialized mm-hmm. tools involved, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. What What is your process once it shows up on the computer in Lightroom or Photoshop or whatever? I can only assume amazingly expensive software you're using. What happens once it gets in there?
1: <laughs> well, you're pretty much doing the same thing that a printer would do for... Uh, to make an analog print, to use an enlarger. You're trying to make sure you get the exposure correct. You're trying to make sure, well, not correct, but you're trying to find the best exposure for the story you're trying to tell in the image. You're trying to make sure that there's no blemishes or, like I said, dusts or specular areas or, or anything on the scan that would need to be cleaned off before you would make a print. Um, You're trying to make sure that the contrast is okay, particularly when you're trying to do black and white, because contrast is a big big variable in that space. Um, And those are really, you know, when you work in Photoshop, you work in layers. And those are my three layers to start with. And then from there, you can start to do all the cool digital things that everyone else does to, you know, to make one part of it darker, to make other parts of it lighter, those things like that. Okay. Um.
0: After you get done editing the images, do you have a particular place that you go to put them? Because I know Instagram is obviously a big thing, but I don't know. Uh, I always feel like there are secret clubs and organizations of photographers out there. Like, I don't yeah. particularly poker like, I'll dabble in Flickr. I don't even know what 500 pixels is. I'm not touching that. Uh, There's some beautiful pictures on there. <laughs> None of my stuff is going up like it's not going to happen. I feel like well, I would put up a picture of my dog and people would be like, do you know where you are? Do you, do you understand <laughs> that people pay us for our things and you are you go? I think, oh, she,
1: she, you have to yeah. think about it. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. Do you I, have a particular
0: um, place that you prefer to put yours? Do you put your stuff everywhere? Do you put some things? Some of some it I put everywhere. Some of it other places.
1: It, it depends. There there are online communities that embrace the analog side of things a lot more than other places do. Um, There are actually, I post a lot of analog analog stuff, a lot of film images to Instagram. Uh, And of course there are purists that will tell you that there are these rules on Instagram that you're only supposed to use what is captured with the camera of the device that you're using it on and blah, 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 blah. And they try to take, you know, the high ground of it's only supposed to be, you know, this and the filters and that's supposed to be it, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you what you can do with those rules, okay? You can just take them and you can fold them into a triangle and you can take those rules and you can shove them in your ear because I'm, <laughs> I'm not interested. You know, all of this came about after, after Facebook bought Instagram and Instagram suddenly became quote-unquote popular. There have been people sharing film images on Instagram since Instagram started. And if you don't like that, then you can take a hike. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so you're, there are you're a
0: photographer that embraces Instagram as opposed to other people, other, there are quote unquote, real photographers out there that especially once Facebook bought them, Instagram became like, like, we're not, yeah, going to talk about no, Instagram. Let me,
1: you know, I, 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 I tell my, my wedding clients that you get extra points. If you take pictures of me while I'm taking pictures and post it to Instagram.
0: You don't like, you don't have a second shooter I, just for that, like no take my process pictures.
1: No, no. But I tell you what, if I ever, ever do a uh, styled wedding with Elizabeth, that's Elizabeth's extra job.
0: No, I'll probably be the one who ends up doing it. She'll. <laughs> oh be well, then you can do it. Yeah, then you
1: can do it. Yeah, she'll be pointing at stuff, and you'll be lifting and taking pictures of me with your camera. That's
0: fine. Yeah, that's. I'm not gonna get paid for that either, am I? No, no, probably not. No, wonderful.
1: <laughs> but uh, but I'll I'll. I'll Touch of the same break as I you know get, get all my assistance we'll, we'll we'll get you a cut and I'll certainly buy you dinner I'll take dinner that's, um, that's typically how I get paid for my stocker vintage work as well so <laughs> that's good that's good I, I hope it's a nice dinner um, so anyway back to the back to the photo sharing um, there are communities on various places on the web that everyone shares photos to that also kind of has a albeit usually smaller analog community uh, there's a large um group of you know people that do that um on of all things Google Plus That's a thing <sighs> It's a sad thing that the one thing the one thing that Google got right on Google Plus was photography If they
0: would remove the photography tools from Google Plus I would use those photography tools all the time
1: Yeah it, it's 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 the only thing they got right if I didn't have to go through the
0: intermediary of Google plus and logging in and making sure my photos go here like if you if Google would make just a simple photos application for me to put on my mm-hmm. phone and have like a web app that I can work with too that I don't have to go log in, in into either the Google plus app or the Google plus site and find photos and click on it and look through all this like yeah there it makes it so easy through I think they use Aviary to do their photo editing just real mm-hmm. quick um mm-hmm. they do a lot of good stuff I mean they make gifts uh out of your images they'll do some auto awesome stuff which obviously is more appealing to the horrible photographers like me than the talented photographers like you like you they do really well with photography but mm-hmm. man yeah, everything was, else is just it's yeah, it's tack, a, it's tacked on in a very weird way
1: yeah kind of a hot mess There's a large analog photography group um, or various large photography groups and things that you uh, can follow on Flickr. There's Flickr groups for every different type of old camera. There's Flickr groups for different types of film. There's Flickr groups. I'm part of a Flickr group just for uh, Rodinol, which is the developer that I use for most of my uh, images. That's oddly specific. It is. It's very oddly specific. But if... You'll notice if you look at them, if you look at the images in that feed, they're not the same, but some of them have very similar characteristics. You kind of have to look at it at a, on a different level. And I know that it's really only the film nerds that do that, but, you know, we do we do that. And if if you're going like really crazy high end, like the absolute art people, there there is an, uh, an analog section of 500 pixels, but nobody wants to talk about it.
0: I feel like I would be shunned. Like, is there a password to log in to be I, able to look at that stuff?
1: I would be shunned, and I think I've got some good stuff.
0: 500 pixels just seems... And maybe, hey, if someone yeah. out there wants to come and explain to me how 500 pixels works and what the deal is and how it's different than some of the stuff that I see on Flickr and, and why it is what it is, you're more than welcome to do so. I just I appreciate it for the beautiful images that are there, but the general impression that I get from... The site and the community as a whole is very hoity-toity uppity in a way that makes me, frankly, uncomfortable. And I I don't have shame or un, or discomfort very often, especially in the digital world. But five hundred pixels, you you do it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anywhere in particular that's analog only analog.
1: Well, there are a couple of. Which, I mean, I guess it can't
0: be analog-only analog because analog, then you'd be, like, taking digital pictures of your analog stuff hanging up somewhere. It's got to be digitized in some way.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Well, th- there are a lot of um, analog resources out there on the internet. Um, the first thing that springs to mind is APUG, and it's A-P-U-G dot org. It's the Analog Photography Users Group. And there are... It's not just about cute dogs? It's not just about cute dogs. Um there, there's a giant discussion forum about everything analog-related there. They, if, if you want to spend time reading about technique, about different, uh, different films, the way that different films react with different chemistries, the way that different developers react if you mix them at a certain ratio and let different films sit in a longer soup for a longer time, it's, it's massively, massively... Uh, detailed.
0: Which is good if you're looking to get into the super nerdy, super like granular ideas of how to do things like we were talking about before with the, the developing processes and the chemistry of odds are, if you want to know how it works out and you don't necessarily have the time, energy, money, effort, or chutzpah to do it yourself, odds are pro- somebody else has probably done it.
1: Yeah. They're, they've pretty much done it already.
0: That's, that's pretty positive. Alright, so we've talked a lot about digital and analog and meshing them all together and the thing about Mm -hmm. taking digital photos is there's a lot of information in forums like at APUG and things like that on the internet, but analog is is more, like we've talked about, a big word today has been tactile. Um, If people wanted to hold physical analog things to help with analog photography, um, what kind of stuff do you, you recommend? Where might people go to get these kinds of things? I mean, here, take this and go to Amazon, is probably a little too basic. What uh, right. What's a good place to start? Well,
1: I would honestly start at some place like uh, APUG if you didn't have any sort of ideas to what you should start with. If you're a person that already owns um, an SLR camera, uh, a larger camera that you can take the lenses on and off of, if you already owned a Canon or a Nikon or something else like that, then I would certainly look at places where you can buy used cameras that will take the lenses you already own. That's how I started. I certainly would recommend that's how anyone else can start. Um, Obviously after that, you're going to need other supplies. Right. Uh, there's actually, since we're talking on a podcast, I'm actually going to talk about a great film photographer. That's its name, the film photography podcast. It's run by a guy named Michael Rosso and um, a few other guys that, They are, I don't know how many episodes in, but they've been doing it for a good long while. Um, And if you want to listen through that and learn more about analog, if you know a little bit about analog photography, you can learn a lot from listening to the shows with those guys. They actually have a store that's attached to the podcast that you can buy film from, and they have vintage film stocks and they sell expired film. And they sell Polaroid and they're really into Polaroid, which is something that I guess because I worked in a film lab, I never got into because I dealt with, you know, negatives and prints as opposed to something that turned into a print when you took it. Uh, and I guess I also kind of have that sampling bias is not that we always thought that Polaroid was costing us business. So we kind of like shunned the Polaroid. Uh, Elitist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know I'm terrible.
0: It's analogue, but it's not real analogue. Yeah. <laughs> I need a get me the immersion circulator. <laughs> and I and I do it in
1: that exact voice. Um
0: at some point I think that like I think that's our intro. I think that's gonna be how we lead into the podcast. I'm just I'm gonna go through and pull out that soundbite. It's just gonna be get me, get the, me immersion the immersion circulator. circulator. <laughs> It's welcome to welcome to yeah. uprising. There um, yeah, we go. Anyway, uh. besides they, they carry a lot of stuff besides Polaroid. So we got a podcast, yeah. we got a store. What about um? Yeah. What I'm soaking up knowledge. What about books?
1: Well, books specifically on uh, analog and developing and things like that. Uh, I'll have to find the link to the one I have, and we'll have to put that in the show notes later. Okay. Um, there are people ask me all the time about books for photographers, uh, period. There's one that I recommend to everybody. Now, this is actually a book about digital. It's a, it's, it's got digital photos in the name, but it's really good for any photographer, whether or not you're taking pictures with your, you know, whether or not you have that $40,000 Hasselblad camera or whether you're shooting pictures with an iPhone or whether you're shooting pictures with, you know, your dad's uh, 35 millimeter. Yeah. Your dad's 35 millimeter or the, the Yashica a I have that's on my business card that uh, was built, I think in 1957. Um, it's about composition and it's about design. And in a way that it's about composition is that it talks about composition and then it shows you, it shows you examples of composition. That's handy. Yes. And it's very, you know, Text and pictures and text and pictures. It's very good with examples. And I find that when you're working in a visual medium, working with examples is a good thing.
0: Yeah. It helps me to figure out exactly what I'm looking like. You can talk to me about the golden ratio and then whatever that weird spiral snail shape is when I hit the wrong yeah. button on my camera yeah, app right. all, all day. But unless I actually see what that looks like in mm. real time, not necessarily in yeah. real time, but what it looks real like as an example. And all that stuff. Yeah. yeah
1: no, it's got all that. Um, I would also, re- and, and I'm actually going to recommend something I have not read. Um, it's on my list of things that I want to read. It's called The Art of Photography, An Approach to Personal Expression. It's by a guy named Bruce. I hope I get this right. Barnbaum. Um We will include that link also in the show notes. Part of my, one of my goals this year and for my new re- year's resolution um, is to read more books, whether that be on business or whether that be on photography or whether that be on something else. Um, and it is on my list of things that I would like to read. I'm I'm right now I'm reading through, um, Michael Freeman, who wrote the photographer's eye composition and design for better digital photos actually wrote a second book, a follow up to that book. Is it called the photographer's other eye? Uh, I don't believe it is. He missed out on that one then. Yeah, I know it's, well, it's, it's, you know, it's the one that's closed. Um, but I'm, I'm reading that one now. I'm going to um, I'm I'm probably going to pick up the the uh, the barn bomb book after that, but those would be the two books that I recommend. And the reason that I recommend the second one, the art of photography book, is that it's more about how you make what you produce yours and how you become a participant in that art. Okay, and I think that that's something that everyone who picks up any sort of camera can learn from. Okay. We will, uh, we will make sure
0: there's a link to the art of photography and the photographer's eye and whatever the other photographers eye book is called and everything else. We'll make sure to put links for those in the show notes. Um, Just as a disclaimer, those will be uh, everything for Amazon will be a referral link. So if you would very much like to help support the uprising, or anything on the Nerd Uprising Network, and you decide that analog photography, or just photography in general, is something you want to get interested in, then please go that direction. It doesn't cost you any more, but it does give us a couple of pennies to help pay for our hosting to make sure that we can continue to bring you wonderful content like this every week. Um, final notes: What if if I am someone who's going out and trying to get interested in analog photography right after hearing this? I'm fired up. I'm super excited. Uh, give me your one best piece of advice is somebody who's been doing this for a, for a pretty solid amount of time.
1: Don't be hard on yourself when you screw it up because you will screw it up. Okay. Nobody does this right. Exactly. The first time 36 perfect exposures right out of the gate. Don't expect that to happen, but with anything else, it's a process. Learn the best you can from your mistakes and move forward because it's not, although it is about the end product, Part of this is about saying, I want to get out there and explore the world around me and capture those images. And that's what it's about more than anything else.
0: That's, that's beautiful, man. That's thanks, dude. That it, It's either that or the cough medicine that really made me get teary eyed right there. Um, we're going to assume that it's what you said uh, because that's just, That's good, deep stuff. Um, Let's work with that. If you wanted to find the show notes for this episode, the easiest way to do that would be to go to nerduprising.co slash uprising slash one. That's where the link to this show and the show notes and all of the accompanying accoutrement will be for this. Um, Rob, if I wanted to learn more about you on the interwebs, what's the best way for me to do that?
1: Well, um, let's see. I'm at Rob Fangy, R O B F A N G U I, on Twitter and on Instagram. So you can watch me break all those rules. Um, you can find me at my website, robfangy.com. Um, you can email me um, at rob at nerd for my uh, email that is associated with the network here. Um, you can follow me on Flickr, although I don't post much there as I normally do or i used to um if i wanted to hear my resolutions
0: if i wanted to hear the sultry tones of your voice at another point during my week what would be a good way to do that
1: you could you could point your itunes and uh your uh podcast catcher
0: your itunes and your overcast and your downcast and your castro and your
1: whatever general
0: idea of wonderness that's not a thing
1: Uh, You can point that at, uh, let's see, what am I, two of the four shows here on the Nerd Uprising Network. Uh, I will be on this show every week with you, and I will also be on our, well, I say say our, it's more of the show I'm kind of designing. Uh, It's called Stuff and Things with Rob. It's not about stuffing things. It's not a taxidermy podcast, uh, where we are more laid back and talk more things about things in a more of a free form kind of way.
0: I drink before that podcast is what you're trying I, I, to say. I think we all should.
1: Yeah. Frankly, I think well, it makes for a more it makes for a more appealing podcast. Before
0: and during. Yeah, we're going to try to release these on a bi-weekly basis. So if you always want to hear the dulcet tones of Rob Fenkey's voice, typically you'll be able to find that uh every Tuesday either something a little more serious and a little more uh formal here on Uprising or something where we've all had at least one alcoholic beverage except for um probably future Andy. He doesn't talk me as much of a, he's our, he's our Jiminy cricket. <laughs> he's our British Jiminy cricket. Um, you shouldn't do that. Uh, uh, he's. I he'll, don't know. I imagine there'll be a, a few weeks more often than not that he'll be with us on stuff and things with Rob. That'll be released on the weeks that, that we're not doing uh, that. We're not doing uprising. Um,
1: we hope so. And, and by the way, if you've heard uh, the, uh, the other podcast and you would like to guest on it, we have a very, very low bar. For people that may want to come in and join us on the stuff and things,
0: if your first name is Andy or your last name is Fangy, you're pretty much you're guaranteed. you're pretty much
1: in, uh, in. You're pretty much in.
0: Uh, yeah, well, no, we would love to have you. Well, I can't speak for you. I know that I would love to have uh, a couple more panelists. We're kind of rotating through on a semi regular basis for stuff and things. If you are into something super awesome and you w- uh, think that you may want to be on this podcast, we would love. Oh, to hear we we this.
1: certainly. Certainly want to hear from people who have things that they're passionate about and like to talk about them. Yeah, we, we want to Even know what your thing you, is. Yeah, we
0: if, don't if, want to if, see if, your thing. You keep that no, under wraps.
1: No, no, not that kind of thing. No. Or stuff. Or stuff.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Um, I appreciate you. I say well, I was going to say I appreciate you being here for the first episode, but I, I genuinely hope that you're here for the vast majority of the episodes. Um, thank you for dealing with my obvious under the weatherness.
1: Oh, it's not a problem, bro. If you
0: wanted to find me, the czar of the Nerd Uprising Network, on the internet, you can find me on Twitter at W i l l f a n g u y. W-I-L-L-F-A-N-G-U-I. Um, you can find me on the website, which again is at nerduprising.co. I'm on Instagram at nerd underscore uprising. Anything with Nerd Uprising or WillFange in it pretty much going to be me. So Yeah, points to you. D- if you're not getting enough of me through the... 12 hours a week that I'm on podcasts and you're like, you know what? That guy's certainly better through a visual medium and not through an auditory medium. Good God, I'm sick of him. Then, uh, there are plenty of ways to do that. There will be links to, uh, the Twitter accounts for the network and for the show and for myself personally, uh, in the show notes, same goes with Rob. Um, Rob, it's been fun.
1: It's been great, man. It's been great. I've enjoyed this. I look forward to talking to people about other
0: stuff and things stuff and things but not on, but not on this show not not on, not on the other show right on this show um we would love to have the opportunity to talk to some people about um whatever it is that you're passionate and interested in so get in touch with us uh Rob I look yes. forward to talking to you again please subscribe in the next we have some great please, shows coming please, up. yeah please subscribe to this podcast please subscribe to um the other ones that are on the Nerd uprising network rate us on iTunes if you think we deserve it uh, if if you hate it maybe you don't rate us in iTunes. Maybe maybe, maybe you just tell your friends, "Hey, I just wasted an hour of my life listening to these guys ramble on about nothing." Um, yeah, that no, no, that'd be fun. Sure. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, so that's it. That's episode one. Got that taken care of. Hard part's over. Absolutely. Um, I think that could have gone a lot worse. Absolutely. All right. Um, it's been good talking to you. Let's uh, let's get together again and do this sometime.
1: Absolutely, man. All right, I'll dude. See, talk to you soon.
0: Thanks. Bye.